Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Christian Studies. I'm your host, Ryan Shelton, and today we're joined by Teresa Berger, author of the new book, At Worship, Liturgical Practices in Digital Worlds, published in 2018 by Routledge. Teresa is the Professor of Liturgical Studies and the Thomas E. Golden Jr. Professor of Catholic Theology at Yale University, Teresa, I'm so glad that you're on the show. It's a privilege to talk to you. Thanks so much for being here. I'm very glad to be with you, Ryan. Thank you. Well, I am so excited to talk about your book, At Worship. But before we get into that, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Gladly. If your listeners saw me, they would realize by my gray hair that I'm not a digital native, but a digital immigrant. And I was not born with um, an interest in digital uh, media studies or in the intersection between digital media and theology. So I was trained fairly conventionally in uh, both theology and in liturgical studies Protestant listeners might be more familiar with the term worship studies or ritual studies, Um, but since I'm a Roman Catholic, um, that's my field is is known as liturgical studies. I have a somewhat mixed ecclesial background. I have a doctorate both from a Catholic faculty and a doctorate in theology from a Protestant faculty and a degree from an Anglican training college. I taught for a number of years at a Methodist divinity school in the United States in the South and uh, then came uh, to Yale to teach liturgical studies here. My interests prior to the book at worship were really not in media studies. I spent a number of years rethinking liturgical studies in light of gender theories, but I've also worked on the hymns of Charles Wesley and the 19th century Anglo-Catholic revival, and a number of other things. So I have not spent uh, my whole life or my whole career in in digital media studies. That really was a new subject for me. You know, I'm sure the question that that everyone is going to ask you now at this stage of of coming across your book was, this came out in 2018, uh, well before the the COVID-19 pandemic. So I just have to ask, did did you have some kind of 
prophetic knowledge that that two years later, so many churches around the world were going to be spending close up, upwards of a, a year, perhaps worshiping in digital spaces. Did you uh, did you have some kind of heads up on what was coming? I love listening to the spirit or trying to discern what the spirit might be saying to the churches. But what was obvious to me already in 2017 was not that COVID was coming, but that Mm -hmm. digitally mediated practices of faith, including practices of prayer and worship, were A, not going to go away, and B, we're in all likelihood going to increase. Now, in a sense, that's not enough to get someone like me interested in the subject. And in fact, for a while I thought, oh, let younger folks who are digital natives um, work on this and theorize this. Um, What in the end prompted me to engage with that uh, topic was that I realized uh, for myself and the story I always tell, and it's true, is that I lost a beloved uh, print prayer book on a plane ride. And in this uh, grieving over this and trying to rethink prayer practices, I stumbled into digitally mediated uh, practices of prayer, in particular um, apps related to practices of daily prayer, so the divine office. or And I actually found them intriguing, but also mm-hmm. nurturing my faith. Now, at that point in time, liturgical studies, if people weighed in on digital practices, they weighed in in starkly negative terms. And so at some point, I said to myself, how can this be that my field is telling me this is something terrible, and yet my own practice tells me something else. And um, in thinking about this, reading more, questioning some of the assumptions that my own field and the tools, my own field worked with, Um, I developed some things in my own mind that I thought might be good to put out there into the universe. Um, And that's how At Worship came about in the end. That's wonderful. Teresa, one of the the foundational principles that you you start to build on is this really important idea that um, is called digital dualism. So I'm I'm thinking of the the concept that I think you pull from uh, as it uh, Jurgensen. Yeah. That digital is virtual um, and offline is real, and so this becomes. Uh, really a big part of your starting to build some conceptual categories for how we start to think about the the digital off uh, you know online offline real versus virtual yeah. approaches to worship yes essentially i'm against it <laughs> against <laughs> it, uh, theorizing uh, the 
virtual realm in dualistic otherness from what constitutes real. So my argument, or it's not my argument, it's something I've drawn on from um, digital media theorists that I found convincing, um, is that all our lives nowadays, not mine certainly is, uh, I will add in that there are billions of people around the world who to this day are not connected so there is a to the internet so there is a digital divide but for lives such as mine and probably yours um, a more helpful way of thinking about digitality is that we live in in a digitally suffused world or that our lifestyles are increasingly digitally suffused. So we don't actually walk around thinking, oh, now I'm offline and in the real, and wait a minute, I'll grab my iPhone and enter into the virtual, not real space, and then I go back to being in the real. That That's not how these days um, uh, people live um, more and more, our lives are digitally suffused in such a way that it is not even in our consciousness anymore, that we glide um, between, let's say, brick and mortar and virtual realms or mixed reality realms. So if you begin with that as one of the grounding uh, working hypotheses, uh, what does that mean about practices of encountering the Holy One of prayer that similarly are moving in this digitally suffused realm? sometimes in mixed realities, sometimes in the virtual real, sometimes in the brick-and-mortar real. So those were some of the questions um, I pursued in, in this book. And my argument essentially was, <laughs> let's not hearken back to, although some people still do, this facile distinction and dismissal of the virtual built on non-virtual is real and the rest is virtual in the sense of a fantasy. Yeah, Teresa, one of the things that I was so struck by was that to treat the digital as entirely not real, it, it opens up precedent for all kinds of virtual vice can lead to all kinds of bullying or even forms of lechery because the online isn't real. And in the same way, if, if we want to view that that virtual vice is is real and it's not okay to be mean or in the internet or, or do other uh, devious things in your virtual life, that it requires that you open up the door towards, uh, I guess you could say, virtual virtue or virtual <laughs> formation. Do you think that there's something to that leaving the door open on both sides as a, as a, a way to kind of expose the, the consequences of a digital dualistic approach? So, um, being 
able to speak in terms of ethics about the digital world wasn't my primary goal. One, one, if that were one's interest, one could go into a similar thought process as I did for uh, rethinking what it means to pray and worship in digitally mediated uh, ways. Um, but A, that wasn't where I was going in the book, and B, and I think readers will see that quickly, because of the time in which I was writing, so the book was published late in 2017, early 2018, um, much of the writing happened in the two years before then, my field was still very resistant to having anything positive to say about digitally mediated practices. I essentially acknowledged the dangers of a digitally suffused world, but I didn't spend a whole chapter in the book on those. I named them, acknowledged them, and said, um, my task is a specific one as I see it, uh, namely to create some space, some intellectual space for people to think in nuanced ways about liturgical practices, practices of prayer that have migrated uh, online. The other thing that I, may be important to uh, lift up is when I realized when working on digitally mediated practices with the fast um, development of digital technologies, uh, if one thinks of publishing a book, essentially by the time the book is in print, what you've said is already outdated. So my... Yes. My commitment was, A, to write a short kind of almost manifesto-like book that reduced the time span between my thinking and writing <laughs> and <laughs> what was happening in terms of uh, digital technologies. And then, of course, I put the book aside thinking, okay, I've done my... A bit I've said my what I thought was important. Um, others can take over. I'm going to happily move on to other things. And then COVID happened. And of course, suddenly um, we have this surge of digitally mediated worship practices almost overnight. In a sense, I blame COVID for now having had to put my any other research on hold and go back to <laughs> digital, <laughs> digitally mediated practices of uh, of worship. That's right, Teresa, and I'm so I'm so glad that you did. You had already done such such great thinking on 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 really a manifesto is a great word. Your book helps to just create some some categories for for how to have these conversations, how to start thinking through some of these these issues. Well, you you spend a chapter on on really thinking through before before you can properly talk about liturgy, we have to talk about kind of some ecclesiology. And of course, ecclesiology is is this term for gathering, but you make 
some really important developments to how we talk about gathering, specifically bringing in the Holy Spirit or new mythology into ecclesiology. So could you could you share a little bit about about how how we can start thinking about the role of gathering when when maybe physical presence isn't especially possible, uh, but then the spirit's role in that. Yeah, that's a point where really I found uh, digitally mediated practices of worship putting an intriguing pressure on some of the contemporary, let's say, dogmas in uh, liturgical studies and in ecclesiology. So one of the things I hear again and again people saying is, oh, the gathered assembly is where God reveals God's self. The gathered assembly does this and the the gathered assembly, um, you know, you name it. (laughs) Um, And for, for a Roman Catholic especially, um reading back into the tradition i thought wow this is really has become a sort of dogma in the last 50 years that doesn't attend enough to what is also there in our tradition namely that when we gather for worship it is not only those who are physically in a brick-and-mortar sanctuary. But it is also the church around the globe, the church Catholic in the sense of everywhere, universal. It is those who have gone before. And gesturing towards what I'm working on now, it's actually the whole of... uh, creation that has always worshipped long before humans came along. But that's a stark theological claim that needs more time. Um, <laughs> back back to um, the spirit, um, in a sense, once you broaden again the notion of the gathered assembly, uh, the spirit role in this gathering is heightened significantly because you cannot manufacture it by just gathering humans in one space. Mm. You, of course, then have to acknowledge also that in any ecclesiology worth its theological salt, the gathered assembly in brick-and-mortar churches is also radically dependent on the spirit before we ever enter the church door. Um, But in the sort of constant references to the gathered assembly, this, that, and the other, that often gets forgotten. (laughs) That it's the spirit who is the gatherer and not a bunch of nice uh, uh, humans who decide at nine fifty five to come together to worship at ten? So anyway, um, the digitally the digital mediation is simply a, not simply but is 
then one way of thinking gathered assembly beyond spatial site, S-I-T-E, in a brick and mortar building. And I think lots of people who have gathered under COVID-19 lockdown have experienced that now. One doesn't need to waste a whole chapter anymore saying to people, you know, there there is gathering, there is an assembly that is not locked into um, being in one place, one physical brick and mortar place. Yeah, Teresa, you you make the point in the book, which was such a profound reflection for me as I was reading it, that that there isn't a, an unmediated pure past prior to the digital age that we could return to, but that really mediation has been a part of Christian worship always, whether the mediation is coming through our bodies or whether the mediation is coming through a, a written text, a printed text, a digital mediation is simply another form of 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 mediation is is that correct yeah um that claim took me a while to wrap my head around and agree to <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i am now convinced of the truth of that but it flies hmm. in the face particularly of what is prized nowadays namely the, this um celebration of um immediacy and authenticity as if that can ever be had outside of ways of mediation uh, that are as old as, um, you know, however far you want to go back, uh, the the universe uh, flaring forth or Adam and Eve or... And in a sense, when we look into the scriptures, we see God revealing God's self as embracing, as God embracing different media Hmm. that are intelligible to human beings. It may be a word that people who have hearing can hear. It may be a burning bush that people with sight can see. It may be um, the incarnation of the word that people could touch. There is ever only encounter with God, I think, this side of uh, death uh, through multiple mediations. Teresa, the place that it seems that Christian theology has been especially aware of of mediation between spiritual and material, between real and virtual, it, it comes, you know, in its prime uh, focus in the sacraments. And so, as uh, you 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 have done your research on different ways that the sacraments have been approached in a digitally mediated way. Uh, could you share a little bit about how you've you've seen people approaching the Eucharist and, and baptism in particular in in a digital format? Yeah, the first thing to say is that digitally mediated sacraments are not um, something invented in the last year or since COVID happened. Mm-hmm. They've been actually ongoing for 
oh, over 20 years uh, now. The second thing to say is that there is a huge ecclesial or ecclesiological divide here, of course. Mm. And that became particularly visible with COVID. Um, a number of, uh, pro and I'm speaking from the context of the US where I find myself, a number of Protestant uh, communities of faith have very quickly uh, moved um, Eucharistic practices online in various ways, often by um, gathering people in Zoom uh, with elements set up in every person's individual space uh, from which they are connecting to Zoom and then one person consecrating the elements and people consuming them. Other Christian bodies, especially the Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, of course, some Anglicans, at least the ones that I hang out with, um, will not go there. In a sense, that's not surprising because the ecclesiological and sacramental differences that plague us offline and in brick-and-mortar communities also plague us in digital mediation. So when you come from a Christian tradition that puts strong emphasis on the symbolic nature of the elements, they gesture towards something. I think digital mediation is much easier to wrap your mind around than if you have a strongly material uh, notion, understanding of the Eucharistic elements and a heightened attention to um, physicality and location uh, when it comes to consecration and sharing of the Eucharist. So what, what we are seeing, I think, uh, in throwing digital mediation into the mix of ecclesial differences is that digital mediation simply gives us another example of and different sites of um, basic uh, differences in understanding of the Eucharist. Teresa, from your work on this book, you, you start to present a few directions forward for conversations around digital mediation or just for the the field of liturgical studies at large. Of course, uh, you've had more time than maybe you would have liked to continue to reflect on these, these issues. So uh, as we wrap up our conversation about your book, what are some of the conversations that you see as most generative as churches and Christians, theologians, liturgical scholars continue to to look at this phenomenon of digital liturgical practices? What has really struck me, um, and together with the book, I've taught a class on this material before it was ever published, and now again this semester for the first time since COVID hit. Hmm. Suddenly, the students come with a wealth not only of their own experiences, but they've also uh, started thinking about how to make sense with 
I mean, they are in divinity school. That's what you would expect them to do. Um, but there is a, there is a different uh, conversation now um, yeah. because people have a wealth of personal experiences, struggles, insights into how to encounter God within digitally mediated practices and communities. And it's very intriguing to me to see how that, what happens when that richness is brought to the table. Some of the questions are the old ones. Uh, what do we do about embodiment? How do we think about active participation? Um, isn't offline better? Um, you know, but there is now a wealth of material in, in actual lived lives to draw on that wasn't there quite like that before. It's fascinating, Teresa. Well, you've been so generous with your time talking about your book, At Worship. Before we go, could you share with us what you're working on at the moment? <laughs> if I'm not stuck in talking about digitally mediated practices. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have switched again. I'm thinking about a community at worship that is more than human beings, that includes everything ever created. Hmm. And that's uh, that's a completely different, well, yeah, it is a different world, but some similar methodological questions arise. So that's exciting. Well, that sounds very exciting. Maybe once you've you finished that project, we can have you back on the show and talk about that. I'm sure that it's going to be refreshing to for all of us to be thinking less on a regular basis about digital mediation. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us. Um, it's been a delight to have you. I was very glad to talk with you, Ryan. Well, this has been a conversation with uh, Professor Teresa Berger about her book, At Worship, Liturgical Practices in Digital Worlds. It's available now from Routledge. Thank you so much, Teresa, for joining us. And, and thanks to all the listeners for, for tuning into this episode of New Books in Christian Studies, brought to you digitally mediated by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to share it with your friends. Of course, right now, this is a great time to be continuing the conversation about how the internet mediates our digital worship. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day.